Hello, fellow travelers. This is David Woods, your host and trusted guide. Welcome to our little fellowship as we gather to discuss the Christian life in a post-Christian world. We are broadcasting from Babylon with love. Well, my friends, I am thrilled to have on the podcast today uh, a brother from another mother, a man who shares my own last name, um, but is doing the Lord's work in a different place and has been for some years. He is the field director for Southern California uh, for Prison Fellowship. His name is Maurice Woods. Maurice, welcome to the podcast, my friend. Man, thank you so much for having me, David. Appreciate you, brother. Super excited about this opportunity just to, you know, be at service. I really appreciate your time. I know you're incredibly busy. I also know it's an incredible time to be serving in or trying to serve in the prison system, um, still in the midst of COVID and everything else. You and I touched base, gosh, just as the world was shutting down, just as things right. were getting incredibly dicey. Um, so just the fact that we're still in contact and the fact that you, you gave me some time to do this, uh, I deeply appreciate your time, man. Absolutely. My absolute pleasure. Most definitely. So when I have a new guest on the podcast, what I usually, uh, hope is that we can get into some of their story. Um, and, and so, you know, that story can be, you know, starting way back when, like, where did you come up? Where were you born? What was your story just from a childhood? Where were you raised in the things of the Lord? Did you come up around the Lord, the church, anything like that? Or is it something very different than that? Right, right. See, I think that's super important. Um, and, and, you know, and that's one thing that I, I look back on it and I say there's so many benefits in being raised up in the Lord and the church. Um, but then I also look at my dynamic um, where I didn't have that um, upbringing. So I didn't have a lot of biases or hiccups when it came to um, me accepting him and, and building that, that relationship. So no, um, I didn't. I didn't have an upbringing um, or any exposure to the Lord growing up um, and most definitely didn't have anything close to it. Um, it, it wasn't until about I want to say 2000, where I was even exposed to, uh, I guess, the whole concept of church. One of my aunts um, got saved and, and you know, my little cousins, they couldn't come over to my house and uh, stay the night because, you know, I was already kind of wilding and running the streets. And so um, I was able to stay the night at their house or go visit. And that was on the weekends, of course. And the, um, the times that I did go over there, I had to go to church on that Sunday. So those few times that I would go over there, that was my first exposure to, to church world, um, which wasn't too much of anything um, that I, you know, I guess was impacted then. But moving forward, when I did give God permission, um, I realized it was those seeds that was planted in me that when I was an adult and I made the decision to give God permission in my life, um, I had no issue with Jesus. Like I just knew he was God and there was no problem. Like I didn't have that hiccup, which I know a lot of people have hiccups in that realm. So that was kind of a little bit of the background. Where, where were you born and raised? Are you Southern California? Yes, sir. Yes, yeah. sir. Actually, um, kind of, you know, I guess when I'm in passing conversation, it's like, yeah, I'm born and raised. Right. Um, but really I was born in Louisiana in Hammett, Louisiana. Um, I left there when I was one years old. Um, kind of mother and father split type thing. Um, not necessarily even a split that she, my mom was actually coming back to San Bernardino with my grandmother and my father stayed there. That's where all of my father's side of the family is. And so I came, you know, I've been here in San Bernardino ever since, kind of moved around a little bit in the time frame, but always 
back to San Bernardino, um, California, where's I, where I've been right here, kind of like a two hours from LA, two hours from uh, uh, San Diego, a little less, give or take with traffic. That's right. So then did your father stay in Louisiana for some years? Did you grow up with him around or not around? Or what was the story with him in your life? Yeah. So you know what? Um, he actually uh, decided to continue to live a street lifestyle, which kept him incarcerated. Um, not the majority, but all of my life. Um, I'm 34 years old now. Uh, and I've, you know, I can probably count on my hands the conversations we've had. Um, I did see him in person one time. Um, I went back to Louisiana in about 2005, uh, it was, I believe I was like 17 at that time. Matter of fact, I just got out of juvenile hall and I had just turned 18. And um, I actually went back there, you know, really got to meet all my family in person. I have a lot of family out there. Um, I mean, I have what uh, we have, I have six brothers and I have two sisters out there. And so, so anyways, went out there, met a lot of the family and then visited him while he was in prison. That was the first time we met in person. Um, at that time, I probably spoke to him maybe two or three times in my whole life up into 18 years old. And, um, you know, it wasn't that he had a life sentence or even has one. Um, he just continued to live that lifestyle. So he would be in and out of prison, um, you know, the, the, my whole life. So even to this day, still sitting in a, um, you know, a penitentiary in, in Louisiana. Man. So, so early memories of your childhood, what, what is, what are the early memories that you have? Is it, were you moving a lot? Were, were you pretty settled once you got to San Bernardino as far as growing up, mm -hmm. same school? Like, what are the early memories of what, what is that like as you're coming up in this, in this side of the, of the country here? Yeah. So um, let's see, I, I would say most definitely if we get into kind of like the nitty gritty of it um, I had, well, you know, I moved here when I was one, so I didn't remember that, right? Um, from the time that I started remembering, probably back even like three, four years old, um, it wasn't my my um, my mother. She actually got with another man who I actually, uh, he was like the father figure in my life from what, two, three, four, five, up until about maybe six years old. So I actually knew him as a dad. He was the only man that I ever knew as dad. And that's where um, my mother had a child with him, um, with him which was my sister, my, um, my sister out here. Um, so that's my third sister, actually, because out here, I didn't mention that. Um, uh, that was in Louisiana, where I have the six brothers and two sisters. Out okay. here, I have um, three younger brothers and a younger sister. Okay. So, I mean, that's a total of, what, six, seven, nine brothers and um, three sisters. So about, what, 12, 13 of us, 14 <laughs> of us all together. Yeah. But anyways, um, I uh, at that time, it was at six years old. Um, they actually split up. You know, um, there was always, uh, you know, drugs and, 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 and alcohol, there was substance abuse involved in, um, you know, young parents, you know, my mom, she had me, uh, when she was 18 years old, I believe 18 or 19, she was pregnant at 17, I believe it was, and had me late 18. So, um, you know, uh, you know, growing up, learning who she was as a woman, having that void in her life, trying to fulfill it in these relationships, um, and, and then she met, which is my, my stepfather who pretty much raised me They mm -hmm. you know, they've been on and off <laughs> since, since, uh, I was six years old. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of had that upbringing, different men in and out the house, you know, kind of seeing that, um, you know, uh, had, you know, I have my, my sister, which had a different dad. Um, and, and then I had to realize like, Hey, you know, I think that was one of those things where my stepdad, he came in and he was an alpha, um, you know, and, and so that was bye-bye with, you know, dad that I knew, um, right. you know, he completely was out of the picture. Um, and, and, and so during that time, 
you know, I, I experienced, you know, different, uh, I guess I can't say that I had that, the absent father wound in a sense, um, that I was too much of aware of because I did have uncles and different individuals in my family that were their men, um, but no God, um, fearing men and no husbands, you know, no like fathers. I didn't have those examples, but I did have men there. So, um, you know, that was kind of like the upbringing and, and all of it was, you know, I, I was exposed to street life, gangs, drugs, alcohol. Um, that was the norm. And were you close with your stepdad? I mean, you described him sort of raising you. Would you describe, was there a, a, much of a relationship there? Was it more or less respect the rules or, or, or just sort of, were you trying to, you know, whatever father figures we might have around any of us in our stories, we're always trying to emulate somebody. Were you drawn to emulate him? Were there cousins and other people that you were, you were kind of close to as far as family goes, as far as those examples, whether they were good or bad? Who would you say had like the major influence as you were growing up as far as what you saw, what you maybe wanted to be or what you were learning the most from? Right, right. Uh, so I think I think most definitely the experience that I had, uh, you know, I had, you know, I seen those streets and I, and I seen the lifestyle of individuals, you know, who were living that uh, that street life. So I aspired to be those things that I seen. It wasn't any one. I mean, I did um, have a great love for my uncles. You know, I had uncles there. And but um, when I look into it and I kind of, you know, uh, look back on my life, uh, there wasn't really oh I never took on a role model where I wanted to be like or I wanted to. It was more of the street life, because even those those father figures, those uncles and those men I had in my life, they all had one thing in common, that they were living out the street life and they were living it out in different forms, um, some more aggressive than others. Um, and, but it was all the street life. So my role model was street life and it was the way, and you know, the street life, it's, it's hustle. It's come up by all means. It's, it's smoke this, drink that holler at this female, that female it's, you know, it, I literally had a model of, you know, if you, if you, if you, um, if you holler at 10 women a day, you'll at least get one. And so you'll have one for every day of the month. And so that was lifestyle stuff. And so that's what was my idol. That's kind of really um, those lifestyles that were chosen from those men provided me that idol. So I desired, I desired to be a hustler. I desired to, you know, drive around in an old school, um, um, Chevy, you know, on some 22 inch rims. I desired to, you know, have a big pistol with a banana clip on it with 75 rounds. Like I decided loud music and, and I still love the loud music and the rims and stuff, but it was, it was a part of that culture and that, that acceptance of that culture. And that was the level of success in that environment. So that's what I aspired to be. I didn't have any, um, you know, uh, business entrepreneurs, college graduates, or, or husbands um, that were in my surrounding that I was able to see. So I, I literally couldn't even aspire to be those things because I never even seen it. Right. What was your relationship like with your mom over those years? I mean, was she, was she, trying to set you on certain paths? Was she just sort of trying to work her own thing out? What was that kind of relationship as you were growing up those years? Yeah, moms, man, you know what? I love my mama. She, she, I mean, this uh, white woman from, from Bakersfield, I mean, ranch girl, you know, so hardworking, you know, out there with the horses and the cows and the chicken, all that good stuff. So my mother, um, I, the example I had from her, although she, was uh had a bad choice in men 
<laughs> and, you know, she was just, I understood, and I understand now she was just trying to fulfill that void in her life. Um, the thing that I did grasp from her, she always worked. Um, she always held down a job. I remember, um, I kind of, excuse me, I grew up not knowing I was poor, right? Mm -hmm. I didn't even know because I, I look back now and I, and I understood like, man, you know, we didn't have it right. We didn't have it, you know, but I, I, when I look back, I understood why I didn't know because somehow, some way mom made sure I didn't have 10 pairs of shoes or even five pairs of shoes for that year. But those $150 Jordans, mom made a, made a way for me to get them. I made, I had two pairs of shoes each year, you know, but I, I that was, I was enough. I got the shoes that I wanted and, and they were expensive. And, but I look back and I, and I seen my mom couldn't afford that. We couldn't afford that. And, and as I grew older, I remember there was a moment. Um, I'm not sure exactly how old I was, maybe about 12 years old, maybe 10 years old, actually, maybe 11, 10, 11. Um, Cause 12 was when I actually the, um, the street life kicked up for me on another level. Um, but we'll, we could talk about that later, but my, my mom, one time I heard her having a conversation and she was speaking to my aunt and she was saying how um, she had got on um, on welfare and and she she was saying how it wasn't enough for her to take care of the family. She's like, I can't. And she, it wasn't like that. Oh, you know, I can't be on the system. It wasn't she wasn't a prideful woman like that because she was on this. She was on the system and taking benefit. But I remember having this conversation with my aunt. She's like, this is not enough for my family. Like, I can't survive on this. And I remember it was just just that that moment. I remember right after that, that same month, she ended up getting a job. Um, and, and I remember she was working at uh, Gotchocks. She used to have Gotchocks and Harrison was connected. Um, but anyways, she was just always a hard worker. And so like as far as working and providing, like I didn't get that from a man, but my mother, she always worked. She always provided. Um, and I seen that. And, and I always had an unconditional love. It was dysfunctional. I mean, which, you know, my degree says, you know, sociology, social services, uh, you know, th there is no functional family. Right. But, the, um, you know, this 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 was one thing that I did get for sure. Like um, my mother, you know, I was I had that support and I had that love. So I never uh, I, I guess there was only one moment in my life uh, that I actually felt um, something other than that support. And that was just in her relationships. Mm. So you described then something happens or there's kind of a turning point around 12. Yeah. Um, what happens there that you get accelerated into a lifestyle that that you you were around for sure growing up, obviously. Um, mm -hmm. But now you're, you're starting to enter into that yourself around 12. Is that what you're saying? Right. And there and I look back on it as I kind of piece it together. There was several different turning points in that moment. I think even as a 12 year old, it's kind of like that puberty stage also. But during that moment, there were the several things that had occurred. Um, I remember in that season of literally being 12 years old, we had moved from San Bernardino and we had moved out to Fontana, which is just a couple miles over, a um, couple just a city or two cities over, 10 minute drive. And I was there for sixth grade and seventh grade. And I believe that's like 11 and 12 years old. And during that time frame, um, I remember we were right in a moment where uh, I was I was in I was in seventh grade and I always had older friends that I hung around with. And during that season, uh, there was a lot of and, and not just that season, but I, I didn't mention 
um, which I'm sure most individuals can identify with. While there's drug use and abuse in the family and the household, there's usually, uh, you know, violence. And, you know, there was that domestic violence. And it wasn't just dad beating up mom. I mean, and I don't make any excuse for him because mom, you know, she did what she, it was like, it was almost like a, it was a demonic soul tie that where my mom, she would do things to get my stepfather to put hands on her. And that was like, almost like her, like demonic way of knowing that she was loved and cared for when he would act out and do these things. And then him, my stepfather, he never had a, a father himself. His father was actually murdered and um, 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 hogtied, kidnapped, and he died a, 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 a atrocious way. So, um, you know, he never had a father figure and he was doing the best with me violent, didn't know how to control himself, dealt with different things, you know, diagnosis of, of you know, uh, bipolar and schizophrenic type things. You know, there's always a, a, a diagnosis for every dysfunction in this earth, right? Uh, but there was a lot of violence there. And so I experienced a lot of that. So there was fear there deep inside of me, you know, when you hear the voices rise and, and, and those different things. But at that 12-year-old mark, there were several things that happened in that season. One of the things that happened in that season um, was there was one of my friends that um, he was a little older. He was in high school. He was selling weed. I never forget him. <laughs> my, my buddy, David. And, um, you know, skateboarding. You know, I did everything. Roller braids, bikes. I was, you know, I was a kid. Right. I was involved in all of that. Even dyed my hair blonde one time. Right. And I was in this society. I remember dealing with this identity crisis. And in Fontana, it was more Hispanic. Um, society. So I'm identifying with that population, even telling, I remember as a kid saying, oh yeah, I'm black and Mexican, right? Not knowing I'm not Mexican. People look at me, they think I am, or depending if I grow my, my sideburns, you, are you Middle Eastern? Are you Puerto Rican? You know, you're, are you from New York? As they say, I have an accent, um, but you know, all these things. But I remember I was in this identity crisis, trying to grow into who I am. And, and I didn't have the role models for it. Um, and so one of my buddies, he was selling drugs. And I remember one day I put my hand in a bag. He probably had like a quarter pound in his drawer. And I just put my hand in there and I stole from my, and I, this was the moment I activated the thief in my life. And I gave into this and I stole from my friend, right? Stealing from my friend. Look, and I put the weed in my pocket. I remember I went home and I had some other friends that were older than me. They were in high school. I remember there was Gustavo and Karen, their brother and sister. And this sister I remember this day, I went back and I showed her the sack that I had. I put it in a bag at this time. And she goes, hey, my boyfriend will pay you for that when he gets here. So he gave me 10 bucks and I kept a little nugget of, of weed for myself. And it was like, this is cool. Like I had some weed, I made some money and, and it was like great. And it activated this, this idea and this understanding that I can make money off of this. And then I started smoking weed. Mm -hmm. And so I had get little foil pipes and smoking weed and, and, and I'm making a little bit of money. And what this did was during this time, now this activated something, something um, greater. And, you know, a lot of people, I, I've had this argument for many years where like marijuana is not a gateway drug. Like I would fight you teeth and nail, but no, it really is a gateway drug. Like however way you look at it for me, let's just say it wasn't just a gateway drug to higher drugs. But into it's more detrimental drugs, but it was a lifestyle. It was a gateway to a lifestyle because I was hustling. So guess what happened? I was in the streets when I was in the streets and I was hustling. I started making money. And when you're making money, you're around other people making money. And also gangsters are in the streets. 
and gangsters hold pistols and they have guns. And then, so guess what? I got a gun and I'm not a gangster, but I'm out and I'm involved in these streets. But as I'm in this atmosphere, so before I got into the gang banging, right before that, I just got introduced to this lifestyle of hustling in the streets and nobody even taught me it. It's crazy, right? Just straight generational curse passed on down from my father. Um, so here I'm getting exposed to this. Before I got into the gang, I'm in this, this hustle, this street mode. And then there's this one moment where I remember my mom, she decided to leave um, the house that we had in Fontana. I loved it. I mean, I was there. I had my friends. It was junior high. Like I, had, I was about to go into eighth grade. And I remember that summer we ended up leaving and we went out to Orange County. Um, and I was staying, I was out there and we, I got family out in Orange County. And I remember we went out there and he had a really great job, it was an electrician job. I mean, I think it was paying him like $30, $40 an hour, something really great. Um, so we, we were able to have a lot of things, but she literally just followed him out there to no, to no house, to no anything. So we were living with someone. We actually stayed in motels for many years. Um, not many years, but for many months. And so like living like it was crazy. As a kid, I look back on it. We were living in motels, like motel to motel. I had my skateboard. We had a couple family members in and out out there. And it was just horrible. I couldn't believe my mom like just packed up, left her job. She had a job working at the airport in Ontario. Like she left her job. I mean, he had a really great job to take care of us, but it was so backward. There was nothing established. And that moment we were out there. And I remember one day they were arguing and I thought they were fighting. And, you know, I'm used to this background of fighting. I'm used to this. I know what's going on. And this was that moment, that defining moment in me, because now, you know, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm getting a little, you know, a, a, a little hair on my chest, right, um, for the podcast words, right? And, and I'm, um, and I heard them in there wrestling, and I didn't know what they were doing. I thought they were fighting, and I, I busted in the room, and when I went in the room, um, my dad was, he was on top of my mom, and so when I went in, I just hit him with two of them, with the good right and the good left, and to his side, and he got up. And he just, he just knocked me out. Bam. He hit me. And I remember, um, I didn't go to sleep, but I laid there and I didn't get up until he left. <laughs> Look, so I was, and I remembered, I was like, dang, my, my pops just like knocked me out. I'm laying there. I'm like, dang, he just, and then he left. So he left, mom called the police, everything happened. It wasn't like a, a unnormal situation. As far as that go, they actually weren't fighting that time. He was just trying to take her car keys because she had the car. And so this one time they weren't fighting. I just jumped in there. I, I had enough. I'm like, man, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not a punk, right? I'm not scared. You're not going to beat hurt my mom. So this was that moment. Remember, I had just got exposed. I'm in this street life now. And even though I left that city of Fontana, we're in Orange County, I had that with me. I had been exposed to this. So I'm growing a little more mentally in my rite of passage of who I am and what I'm going to accept or not. And so when he hit me, the police came and took pictures and all of that. And I just knew for the first time in my life that it was over. Like, mm-hmm. I just knew, like, he had beat her up black and blue. He's been in and out of prison behind it. But I knew he hit me this time. And she, like, I'm my mom's baby. I know my mom loves me. I know it was horrible. And here I am this next day. Dad and mom right back together. Mm-hmm. Right back together. I'm walking around with a black eye. And you know what I had to deal with, David? Look, bro. I, this was where I learned to put, I had this chip because guess what my buddies around the way would say, and they had, and, and I, and I try to act tough and I learned how to 
you know, be prideful and, and, and hold in that hurt and hold it. And I went out there and I faced the world. I didn't hide away and I accepted that. And if anybody said anything, we'll be fighting and, and I'll get another black eye if I need to. And it was a very, it was a pivotal moment in my life where I didn't realize it at that moment. This was years later that that was when a spirit of rejection entered into my life. My mom, I had received reject and I didn't know this because I never had any bitterness towards my mom. But the manifestation, the fruit, now I'm getting into the deeper things of God, y'all, for a minute. I know I'm talking a lot. But, but, but what happened was I was the fruit. See, a lot of us, we have issues that we deal with, and we look at the fruit, and those are the areas that we're doing, whether it's anger, whether it's, for me, it was um, I didn't trust anybody. I didn't trust relationships. And even with men, I didn't build relationships that were trustworthy. And I had my walls up and people would have to like necessarily earn certain things when it came to me in relationships. And I didn't understand why I didn't build relationships and trust individuals. Even when I had great friends, quote unquote, or people that I loved that were my buddies inside my heart, I never trusted them. I never did. And what it, what it was, was, is I was, I received a spirit of rejection from my mother that moment when she chose my stepfather over me. And when that rejection came in, what happened was it made me reject others in their relationships. So I didn't even have beef with my mom. Sometimes people think it deals with the person. My mom, I love my mom to this day. I never, but once God revealed that to me years later, years, I had to renounce that rejection. And I even had to forgive my mom for that. I didn't even know that the spirit of rejection came into my life and was affecting my relationships because of what my mom chose over me when I was a child. That's how I interpreted it. So there was a big change right there. From that moment, rejection, a hardened heart. I took on another identity. The street and the hustle, I was already involved. I'm smoking weed. I'm around individuals that are on it you know there's different levels to the streets and the hustle so now i'm around gangsters and what do gangsters do they do violence they do robberies they deal with guns so here i am a little square bear you know don't want any issues now because i'm around that i started taking um i started taking hold of those behaviors and those mannerisms and of course from that moment it led to juvenile hall county jails prison staff shot prison again prison again and so that, that was that turning point for me at 12 years old. That's when things kicked up. I started selling drugs. I started holding a gun. And, um, you know, that, that, was, it was, that was the turning point. What's the moment when you first like, enter the system, right? What's the moment when you first, you know, have that, I don't know if it's a wake-up call at all, but, but just that, that confrontation with the law in which you lose and it becomes official and it's no longer just on your terms, but you end up in juvie. Like, when, when does that when does that happen? You, you, we talk about 12 being a turning point moment. How many years before that first sort of you start entering into that cycle of actually encountering, you know, the law in that way? Well, it, it actually is that I, I started encountering the law um, in 13 and 14. And of course, because I was in the streets, but it was only encountering the law in the way that a 12 and a 13 year old boy would that's just in the streets. But what I started doing was, is when I started getting into the violence and the fighting and into the crime, 
um, I, when I first got when I first got on my probation and I was at 14 years old, it was I was between 13 and 14. And that's when I and I didn't do any time at that moment. But it was I think it was I had an incident at 13 in school, which got me, you know, I had got some tickets, got into some fights. And then I ended up getting on probation. And then at 14, um, I, I, it was like a year in between that time frame when I got involved with the law again. I was I, I think it was like a year probation, like summary. And so. A year after that, at 14, um, I ended up getting in trouble again for some more violence. Um, and, and at that point, um, I was on probation again. Um, and it, but I didn't get any, I didn't have any time yet. I was, uh, I, I guess, I don't want to say the grace of God, um, because I really, it was like really the, the work of the enemy that I got. I was allowed to get away with a lot of things in that time because there was a lot of crime I was committing, a lot of robberies and thefts and just lot of all of the things that people do that um things that i could never change or 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 you know really go back to and, and rewind the time on and so um i really the enemy told me a lie and i believed it and i thought that as long as i was committing crimes before i was 18 um if i murdered somebody before that time i would get out you know by 25 i would get a um you know juvie they call it juvenile life and so um, I lived my life as hard as I could as a juvenile, knowing that, hey, even if I get caught, you know, for these things, like I'll get out at 25. Mm. And um, that was a that was a big lie that that was exposed to me. Um, not just not too not too much, uh, too many years shortly after my uncle, actually, um, he did. He got a juvenile life sentence and he got out at 25 years old. Um, he went in at 13. And so that was one of the seeds. But. I've heard it before. And so, um, man, I, I thank God for it because when I was um, 15, um, uh, actually I was 16 years old. Um, one of my buddies, he got 77 years to life and we were both 15 and 16. Dang. And so um, I had just turned 16 actually. And so I knew that I was like, wow, you know, it kind of scared me, but I was already fully involved. So there was no turning back. And then right after that, I was in the 16 turning 17, um, I actually caught my uh, my first case that led to jail time. So um, I would say in between 16 and 17, I think it was um, matter of fact, uh, the month was May. <laughs> I had a lot of incarcerations in May, actually, in February. And so it was I remember it was uh, May 5th. And um, that that led to my first time in actually in the system. Um, I had to do six months in juvenile hall. That was mm -hmm. the first time. Was that I mean, it didn't necessarily change you right that first oh no no there was no no change it was just like around people who were in and out yeah yeah it, there was no there was no change um it really doing like i think my mind was already like i was i didn't understand the depths of the things that i was involved with but i did understand that my lifestyle either led to is going to lead to prison or death mm. and so in the in the the very um, unfortunate thing about that and the scary thing is that I accepted that. Like I knew like gangbanging and hustling is going to lead to either death or life in prison. And I was okay with that, but I didn't know anything about like hell and the, the legacy of generational curses that I will pass on, you know, mm -hmm. after me. And, and I didn't know anything about those things, but it makes you worse because you go and now you feel like you're somebody, Oh, I've been to juvie and I get out, you know, um, after that time, you know, I, I ended up getting out and I was out for two months and I went right back. And then I they, um, I stayed in there until I was 18. 
And and then, you know, and I went and it's just and I was out for two months from 18. I was out for two months. I was out for two months. I got out February 8th. I never forget it. You know, mm-hmm. and it just went right back March, you know, um, um, and March and then April I back to back. It was like a, a month. And then it was a month and a half. And it, and it just they were back to back times. And I was just in that cycle. And it was just a lifestyle. It was, when it was you, just when you actually are experiencing. I mean, I know you're you're doing a lot of violence. You're in a violent world. By the time you're getting stabbed, and I don't know how old you are when you get shot, but like, th- does the physical reality of that violence coming home to you, does that do anything that just doing time in juvie might not have done? Does the violence, like getting that close to your own, you know, danger of death or whatever it might have been, does that do anything or does that harden you? Does that prove something? Does that actually escalate sort of your, your standing yeah. role, your self-perception? What was that when, when that kind of level of violence comes to your own body in those in those moments, what what effect or or not effect does that actually have on you at that moment? Yeah, it, I mean a little bit of a little bit of all of that, but most definitely the the number one was it escalated the identity of crisis that I was living in because it was kind of like a rite of passage. Like you made it through that, now you're even more gangster, mm-hmm. right? And even though it was scary, I mean when I got stabbed, I was 17 at that time, and um, uh, I was I was committing a robbery. And um, during that time, I didn't even know I got stabbed in the heat of the moment and just things went bad. And, and just kind of long story short, um, uh, I got stabbed and I didn't know it until I jumped into my car and I pulled out and I was just leaking blood, you know, all in my shirt. And um, it was crazy, like kind of long story short on the on the on the, um, the, op, the the situation. I went to the hospital and I didn't know at that time, like as soon as any crimes by, um, committed, they called the police. And so they, I, I found that out in that time. And the police were going to be coming on their way. So I left the hospital and here I am. They just, I had just, I had this open wound on me and I knew when they were doing that, like that was happening. I literally just got up and left the off the um, police office. I mean, left the, uh, the, the hospital and I jumped a couple fences. Um, I heard all of the police all over. They were looking for me. And I was, I just hid in this little, uh, old Chevy truck that was rusted and spider fab. I just laid there like, and it was crazy because I was literally thinking like, and I had like, chunks of like like blood clots and i was like man and i'm talking to my buddy on the phone that he hit the lick with me um uh, aka he was involved in the robbery with me and and um i was like telling him where i was at and, and him and his girl were like you know trying to come get me but there was too many officers around and i'm like am i gonna i'm thinking like am i gonna die like i'm like i i didn't i didn't get scared in that moment but it was a reality i was like i could die back here i was on the church this is when we had chirps and i was like I'm just holding my chest as hard as I could. And I never forget. I ended up getting out of that. It was like maybe an hour and a half after that. Ended up going to another um, hospital in another a city, giving a fake name and all of that stuff. And, oh, I fell on my motorcycle and, you know, different story. Right. And uh, I never forget that that in that moment, it uh, it really it was crazy because I was in the hospital for three days. When I got shot, it wasn't even that long. It wasn't even that bad. Like getting stabbed was way worse than getting shot. And uh, so, but in that time, it really made me worse because although in the heat of the moment, it was like adrenaline pumping, I got away, you know, it's exciting. You know, I got away from the police. I made it away. I hit this lick. We, we got this and then I'm stabbed and I'm sitting here and I'm like, man, this is crazy. Right. But I made it out ultimately. And so it was like, I did that. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I gained a little more influence with, with my older homies and, you know, and, 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 you know, you can't tell me nothing. 
right? Like I'm somebody, right? And it just enhanced the foolishness that I was involved in. And so, no, there wasn't even a, a turning point. It made me worse that time. When you're in, what's the longest that you were in at that point? Up, up to that point, you'd been in and out of prison for a little bit. Um, did you ever do a run of years at, at a certain point there where you, yeah. it, was, it was a little bit of a different game where after yeah, so, 18, it gets a little more real in some ways? Yeah. So, so after the juvenile hall thing, like, you know, you got the six months and then I had a year after that. And then I, I had a violation, a probation violation after that. And then after that, I had two years and that's when I went to prison. And then after the prison, um, I was and in between these times. I was literally out two months each time, yeah. two months each time. It was, it was ridiculous. And then after I did the two years in prison, I got out. I, was, I made it to four months this time. And on that fourth month, I ended up getting shot, um, ended up going back to prison. Um, kind of long story short in that. And during that time, um, I mean, even there's so much testimony. I ended up getting saved on that last term. Um, but I mean, I wasn't even supposed to come home. I wasn't even supposed to have a date on that last one. Um, I was, you know, pretty much looking at 24 years, eight months. Um, I was completely guilty. I already had prison priors at that time. I already had a strike at that time. Um, and, you know, I already had prior gun charges at that time. Um, so, you know, it's pretty much a wrap for me because my violation was what sent me back to prison for parole. But I had a new beef pending because I had some guns and some drugs that were, you know, found and, and, and it was a whole nother story behind me getting shot, which was crazy, had nothing to do with each other, but <laughs> Hey, you know, when, like the scriptures even say, either be hot or cold, you get mm. vomited out if you, and I was lukewarm. I literally, when I got out of prison mm. and uh, I thought I said to myself, babe, I said, I thought that I was living a different lifestyle because instead of running around, cause mind you, now I've had multiple terms right? I have been in and out of jail, a juvenile hall, jail and prison. And so this is four different times before that. And so now, I'm, you know, I've got some years under my belt. Um, I learned the system. I know the system. I'm putting in work. I've acted a fool since, you know, I started off 12 years old, 13, 14, 15. I'm putting in work, start going to jail, 16, 17, 18. And, and so then, you know, prison, right? And so during this time frame. Um, I got out and it was like, you know, I go up here, you know, with the lifers, you know, I'm hitting up, you know, these big, I had a three yard this time. And so, you know, pretty much everybody there, you know, you got some people going home, but you got lifers on the yard. People are never going home. And, you know, I was involved in the politics and that lifestyle. So when I got out, it made me like, literally, I thought I, I just increased the identity crisis. So I thought I was somebody, nobody could tell me what to do. You know, I had homies that were even older than me. You didn't even go to prison. So it was like just a certain level of rank, you know, like, you know, this, you know, the, the homies with the business. And I really, I really wasn't with the business. I really was soft as charm and I really didn't want any problems, but I did everything in my power to make sure you really didn't know the real me. And so I would act a fool to make sure you didn't know I really wasn't a fool. I, I would act like I didn't have no sense just to make sure you knew that I did, I, that I didn't have, you know, since. And uh, during that time, I, instead of carrying guns and, 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 you know, gang banging and selling drugs, you know, on a corner and, and running around hustling, um, I called myself a gang member. Like in my mind, I said, like, I'm not a gang banger anymore. Like I'm gang member. I'm, I'm, I'm a member. I put in work already. Like I don't have to prove or any of that. And so what I was doing, it was crazy. I, you know, ran into one of those guys who, you know, give great deals on bulk packages of drugs. And I bought some pills and 
I had other people selling the drugs. And then my cousin was bringing guns over from the border and, and I was buying guns, putting them up at my mom's house. But in my crazy mind, I said to myself, I am not living the lifestyle like I once was because I wasn't carrying guns, wearing red rags in my back pocket. I wasn't do, selling drugs personally, but I was deceived because I was, I was doing the same thing, living the same lifestyle, just doing it a different way. Mm. And that led to me, that led to me, you know, getting the case. Um, you know, it, it was like, long story short in that, um, like I said, I, I was not supposed to come home on that. I was completely guilty. Um, the deal I ended up getting after a year uh, back and forth with the courts, um, I was going to sign for 12 years. Excuse me. Um, I was going to sign for 12 years. And that day I went in there, man, it was crazy. And mind you, during this time, um, I, I was like, all right, God, you know, this was kind of like a, a turning point for me mm -hmm. uh, in, in the story. This was the moment when I gave God permission into my life. And it wasn't the, the jail or the situation. It wasn't that because I had been living that lifestyle. So it wasn't like, oh, he's in jail. He's just jailhouse religion. It wasn't because I had already did jail many, many times before. And, and, and have, I learned how to do that. I knew how to do that. I was selling drugs in there. I was getting high, getting drunk, talking on cell phone. Like I was living like I was on the streets in jail. I was living the same lifestyle. So it wasn't hard time in that sense. I didn't experience, I had money. I had visitors. I had, I had, um, uh, uh, packages and, and letters coming to me. Like I never had the hard time is when you don't have anybody. Right. Even when I was in the hole and on lockdown, I still had the letters coming in and the JPEGs and the money being put on my book. So it was, the lifestyle was still, um, beneficial in there because I was really in, involved in it. But there was that moment when I said, um, I said, and I might be jumping a gun in, in, in the podcast a little bit, but there was that moment where I was like, you know, all right, God, show yourself. And I realized for the first time in my life, the reason why I said that is because I had a thought in my mind and it said to myself, I didn't know at that time it was God, but I said to myself in my mind, your way's not working. And I kind of mentioned this a little earlier when we were talking, um, when you like, you know, people say they hear from God. You know, they like really what they mean is they had a thought and they believed that God said it. Right. And so I had this voice in my head, which a.k.a. my thoughts. I didn't know God. So I didn't know his thoughts. I didn't know his ways. I didn't know how he spoke. So I didn't know it was God speaking. But what I as I look back now and I understood that it was God telling me your way doesn't your way's not working, because in that very blink of a thought, I literally had a flash of my life. And I seen my life, juvenile hall, county jail, county jail, prison, stab, shot, back in prison, right? And I seen my life hadn't been working for years, for years, for about six years. It, it, that, light, that cycle was, it was not working. And for the first time in my life, I said, okay, God, show yourself. And what I did in that moment was when I said, show yourself, I didn't go tell the homies I'm done. I love the hood, the homies, the street. I still love my hood and the, the homies in the streets, but that's not my lifestyle no more because I'm satisfied in Christ. But during that time, I had this Bible in my cell and I was on lockdown. This 2009 Chino riots here in California, California Institution for Men. And I was just on lockdown. I would just read. I was just programming, read the word, pray. I had no idea that the word of God was the power of God and the salvation. And I had no idea that as I was reading this word, 
Like that was literally my Romans 10, 9 and 10. I was like, all right, God, show yourself. That was my confessing in my mouth and believing in my heart. That was my altar call. Nobody was in there. Nobody was teaching me, God. I didn't have no church. We were on a, the reason why I brought that up was because I was on a lockdown and I wasn't able to move throughout the prison. I was by myself again. How and do I you was just, the Bible? How do you even have, how do you that's even have what I'm saying. That's yeah. what I'm saying, bro. <laughs> to this day, I don't even know how I had a Bible in my cell. I, that's a part of my testament. I have no idea how the Bible, I got the Bible actually sitting right here on my shelf. I don't even know how it was the little blue. Now they're red now. The little blue hotel version Gideon Bible, the yeah, little yeah. Gideon one, the new, it was so, yeah, no cross-reference, no commentary, just Bible. And literally, man, God transformed. He was renewing my mind. And he gave me a new heart. And those things that I once was doing, those things begin to break off me. Not because I said, I'm done with this, God. I'm done with this lifestyle. Like, that's not my testimony. And praise God for people who do make that decision and have that willpower to, like, you know, really say, I'm done with this. I'm done. Enough is enough. For me, it was so beautiful because he accepted me right in my mess. I was getting high. I was getting drunk. I was still thugging. I was in prison because I was thugging. Like I got right. I got proof behind my, my ignorance. Right. And, 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 uh, and according to, 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 uh, you know, <laughs> the, the education system, a PhD in it. Right. And, 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 and during that time, literally God transformed me in that cell. Mm. And from that moment, like I ended up everything changed. Like I was supposed to, I was supposed to, you know, I was supposed to get that 24 year. Like that was not like, that was not a budging thing. That was the court, like a deal wasn't even a topic in the court system. Like it wasn't, there was no like bill. There was no, and I had a paid lawyer and I had money. So I thought I had it going on. And like, there was, there was none of that. So after a year, and I know that's not the longest of time, but after a year of fighting this case, I get this deal for 12 years. And I'm like, well, I had a daughter at that time. I had missed all of the pregnancy, the birth, everything. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm like, well, at least I can still like 12 years old. I'll be good. Like I can still be dad. That's a, that's she won't be a teenager yet. And I said to myself, like, that was my mindset, like at least. And that's why I actually turned myself in also, because I was like, man, I can't keep running like this. So but I, I had just got shot. So I kind of waited. I was on the run for three weeks and I just turned myself in like, listen, I just never really ran for nothing. Like I just. Mm -hmm. had to deal with issues head on. And during that time, man, you know what? I it, like kind of long story short in this kind of process. Um, I never forget it. I fasted. Um, at this time I fasted for three days and I was just, you know, praying and fasting. And, um, I was going into my court date and this was the day that I was going to sign the 12 years. Uh, during this day, I went in there and my, my attorney, he just go, he goes, a hey, uh, he goes, you know, he goes, man, you know, I pray for all of my case. I pray for your case, just like I pray for all my cases. And he goes, I'm, I don't know um, if, you know, this is something from God or not, but, um, you know, like we, the district attorney's not here today and your judge is not here today. And I was like, and I was thinking to myself, like, well, I thought that was all bad because, you know, you kind of, you're in and out of court. You want to build this report to where you guys want to get this case over with. And, and I was like, you know, I was going in to sell, you know, sign this, this 12 years that day. And I was like, wait, what do you mean? And, and he goes, well, um, I know we were, you know, planning on, you know, moving forward with the 12 years. And he goes, uh, but what they're offering you right now is uh, four years with 85%. And I was like, I was like, no way. Like my pride kicked in. 
Like I was like, they're playing with me. I felt like in my mind, this is a joke. They have no case. There's no, like, I forgot all about God. I forgot all about the fasting, the prayer. I went right into flesh mode. And I was like, no way they have no case on me because I, my last disposition, we, we, it was clear. We were, we're going to come coming back to sign for 12 years. There's no way this is happening. There's, they don't have a case. And I told them, I said, no, let me out today. Give me a strike and let me go out. Let me go home. Now, mind you already had a strike. And my, and my attorney goes, he goes, that's what you want? And I said, absolutely. I want to go home. He goes back. He talks to the district attorney. They give it to me. He says, okay, we're going to give you, we're going to give you, um, call CTS, custody time serve, and, and we're going to give you another strike. So I'm thinking I'm about to go home that day. You know, I'm fresh, you know, year into my walk. I'm feeling good. You know, I can do, I know scriptures like Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? And we go right before we go in, not to mention a whole nother stream of things that happened. Officer literally pulled me out of the blue and said, this guy was disrespecting me. They threw me in the hole. I never met the guy, never said nothing to him. And they tried to put me back on a bus and go back to the, the jail before I went and seen the judge. My attorney was like, I've been looking for you. Like, that's a whole nother story about how that was so demonic, crazy. And uh, I go into the court when I go into the um, the courtroom. Right. We were going like right before we're going. We're in the chambers. And my, 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 my lawyer comes back and he says, um, I got good news and I got bad news. Now, mind you, he just came back. He told me they accepted your offer. Um, we're moving forward. They're going to give you time served and they're going to give you a strike and you're going to go home. And I go back and that's when all the stuff had happened. And I was like, man, I could do all things to Christ who strengthens me. Like, this is your will, God. This is your will. I'm going to go home. And he comes back. He says, uh, I got good news and um, I got bad news. And I was like, Okay. And he, he gets a piece of paper out and I don't forget this. He wrote a cross on the paper. And I don't think he meant that cross because what he did was, is he showed me four different boxes mm -hmm. and he crossed it. And he goes, he goes, um, this is what you have. These are your options. He goes, well, um, one in this box, he goes, um, we can move forward with trial, which that's what I'll, you know, we, we, we can either move forward with trial. He said, but you didn't want that. You had your, your deal that you wanted to sign. He goes, um, you know, you have the two years, uh, you wanted to, you want to get the time served and then get the strike with the two strikes. And, um, he goes, they took that off the table. Um, they offered you the forward 85. You said you didn't want that. Um, but they did, um, they had a, um, I forget the word, uh, uh, where they, they have a counter offer. They go, they have a counter offer. Now, mind you, they just offered me four at 85. I denied that and told them, give me, give me a strike and let me home. They said they were going to do that. So he crosses that out in this box, crosses mm -hmm. the other box out. He goes, they give you a counter offer. And I was like, okay, what's that? He goes, they're offering you five years with halftime. And I'm like, five years with halftime. And then they go, but you have to waive your year credit. And I'm like, that's kind of similar to the four with 85. And I'm like thinking like, what do I, I'm like, I'm still like, this is crazy. And I'm like, but this was, I look back and it was all a part of God's grace. Cause mind you, I went to sign 12 years. He goes, here goes forward 85. I tried to get a strike. I was not ready, bro. I would have got struck out yeah. a year in your walk. Barely, you're barely, your foundations barely getting like, bro, doing your, it was, I was just, you know, any believer who's like solid and really take and receive Christ a year in your walk is just, just, you're just, you're just getting started. You're just finding out who you are in Christ. You barely know a few memory scriptures, right? And 
I thank God for saving me for that. I know I said long story short, but in this moment, when he came, it was his grace because he showed me this is me. This is me involved. This When they offered you the 485, you were about to sign 12. Mm-hmm. This is my grace. And then, then you denied it. And in your, he showed me in your foolishness, you denied it in your pride, in your pride. And I was sitting there and I was like, God, I'm praying. Like I need to make a decision. And then he comes back and he gives me, this is how I knew that I knew it was from God. Because once you get a strike and you have violent prior um, criminal history in in prison time, you can't get halftime. They don't give you halftime after that. So I already had the strike. You don't get half. That's done. You get 85% after that. And they were offering me halftime and halftime at that time, they start, you know, they were doing fire camps and there's dreams of getting 35%. If you go to a fire camp, which I never got, but I took that deal that day. I took that and I went in there and, 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 you know, I spent about three and a half more years in prison after that. And, you know, that was my longest stretch. And it was crazy because it was the longest stretch. And remember, I told you when I got out that time, I wasn't out there tripping and gangbanging like I was. I was just a gang member, but I was doing the other activities in a different way. And I was really, I was really a lukewarm gang member. Mm. Lukewarm, either, either hot or cold. That's it. Either go all the way or not at all, because the consequences that I suffered that time, like I had, I mean, I'm just, I, I hate to say it like I got away with, but I'm saying like I had did so much and never had to pay the price. I shouldn't even be here. And then the one time when I like turn it down and I'm not tripping, then I get all this time and I'm dealing with this and, you know, and even being shot and all like, it's just a karma thing, a, a grace of God thing. And, and, and I did that time, bro. And like Paul, when he went back to Damascus, you know, for those three years, he went back, studied with the doctrine, with the elders. That's what I did, bro. And I built a solid foundation in Christ. So when I got out in 2012, November 4th, I was ready, bro. I was ready. I was solid in my walk. I just needed character development. So what kind of foundation were you able to build? Is that when did you yourself get connected with prison fellowship or was it some other program going on in the system at the time? Because now you're motivated, you're getting a little clearer, yeah. you're, you're, you're realizing, hey, man, I'm, I want to do this right. I want to I want to take this time. I want to do something with this time. I want to build something here. So what were you actually doing while you had those years where you were you were focused on the trajectory, at least the Lord had you on working things out? What, what were you working on? How were you building that foundation while you were still in the system there? Right, right. So once I had that turning point, you know, really, which mainly kind of like the summing up that that turning point was God revealed to me that my way wasn't working. He revealed it. I wasn't a family man. I wasn't writing out my own beef, a.k.a. taking care of my own responsibilities. Everybody was paying the consequence. My mom was doing time. My, my cousins were following me. They're going to get killed, gangbanging after me. He showed me that I was deceived. And that was the turning point. That's what led me say, okay, God, I give you permission. Now, once I made that decision, um, I did start programming and I began to involve myself with opportunities that were available in the system. And you, you asked a really great question because one of those opportunities at the time was unbeknown to me because I just went to the programs, but the opportunities were through prison fellowships programming. And so I was involved, you know, I had something to do every day at the week and I started developing life skills. I started developing my identity. I had a Tumi class. Um, I really got built up in, in, in um, um, biblical leadership and I really 
um, not just through the knowledge that I received, but through the volunteers who came into the prison. Now, hear me out, guys. Volunteers, not people, just people that were from the streets and went to prison. No, no, no. Those aren't the people that volunteer. Those aren't the people who go on. Those are just a few people. Those people with the tattoos and the, and the drugs and the ex-gang member lives. Those are not. The, most of those people don't even want to go back in there because I was one of them. Mm. I never planned to go back into the prison system, never had a desire in my bone, but God had a plan for that. And that's why I'm where I am now, which we'll get to that. But during that time, I really received value and worth because of those volunteers who came in that, that the man and the women of God that would pour into me. And I knew I was like, wait, I do matter. I am important. These people are coming. They're not getting paid to do this. They're coming in by the love of God and accepting me loving me, correcting me, teaching me and, and, and keeping walking in respect, but being honest about even their own battles and struggles in their walk. But, but putting Christ at the center, they really gave me the ability to see what it looked like to be a man of God, to even see a marriage, to see a, a godly marriage uh, and imperfect individuals. And then I was, I was, that's what truly brought me to a place of a solid foundation. It wasn't just the knowledge of the word because without knowing God, you can't love God. So it was knowledge. You need to know God to love God. But once I, I, I got the knowledge of God, I also was able to experience the tangible applicable word of God through the people of God. I seen what that love of God looked like. I seen what servitude, sacrifice, and leadership was looking like from the biblical perspective, reading it and hearing it and inside those four walls, but then people coming in, we trying to get out and we got people trying to get in. I, it really prepared me for what I was going to encounter when I got out. And that's what happened. That was the value and the development that I received while incarcerated was through the volunteers and the programs. And so you end up serving the three and a half or, or not quite the five, right? You end up doing that those years. You got, you got a daughter, you got, you got a life outside of this. Yeah. When you get out November 4th, you said 2012, mm -hmm. when, when you get out, is that, I mean, is that just like a surreal experience? Are you like hit the ground running? I'm ready for this. Is it disorienting? Are you like, Oh shoot. Now I got to feel if this, if this really is happening because you would, you know, you had so clearly described, you know, those years coming up, that spirit of rejection, like, you know, it ain't easy to go back to relationships, you know, even if you have seen something and learned something and been growing with the Lord, you still got all these very real relationships that haven't experienced you in that way. And, and to build or to, to mend or whatever it is, like, did you feel like, apprehensive about that where you just like i can't wait to get back into this and try to and, and get this right what was that feeling of like november 4th here we go right yeah you know and so before that time uh there was that thought process there was that you know like kind of a little bit of a few of the things i went through while incarcerated um not only you know experiencing not being there for my daughter but also that relationship breaking off and a relationship that i thought was going to be you know, once I got saved, you know, what we're doing, we're thinking about marriage and I'm going to marry it and all these good thoughts and conjugal visits and all that good stuff that I thank God that he saved me from. And, 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 but that was a, that was another turning point, uh, really, you know, not, not necessarily a turning point, but it was a blow to my ego and, and who I, who I was. 
um, that separation there and, and my daughter's mom moving on. But it was also something that I was using my faith to, to keep hope alive in. And, and so when I came home, um, I didn't come home to that relationship. Uh, when I came home, even my family and my loved ones who I was fortunate enough to have that, it was, they knew what was up with me because I was living out the lifestyle. It wasn't just a jailhouse thing. So like for you guys, just like a shout out for you guys are hearing is people have family members who are serving God. You know, unfortunately, some people they do, it's called R&R, uh, receiving and releasing. It's the place where you go into the prison, like where you were received and the place where you relieved, right? Released. And uh, unfortunately, some people pick up the Bible there and they leave it there. Mm -hmm. um, but that was one of the things that I really had a passion about making sure that I never did. Because even in my time there for those, that three and a half years, what happened was I seen people come and go just in that time frame. And so, you know, it's, it's crazy, but I said to myself that I would not be one of those people. I would, and, and not in a judgmental way, but I wanted to set a standard to let it be known that it is possible and that some of us are serious in this place. And, and what I did was, is when I met, when I was get, coming to that transition, although all my family and my loved ones and stuff, they heard about it. Remember, they're not living for the Lord. And so all it is, is just, it could be realistically, if they don't say it, the truth is, it's just jailhouse religion. And I'm just here today to say that it's, this is so important. Never say, well, that we'll see when they get out. Never say, because this is the thing. If the men and women of God do not start serving the Lord while they're in there, don't think they're going to get out and start doing it. If they don't start working on, don't, 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 man, celebrate and support and encourage those GEDs. Oh, you going to school now. Oh, you in college now. If they don't start then, they're not going to get out and do it. 98%. There might be 2% that do, but I'm telling you right now, me starting then is what gave me the ability to continue it on. And so when I paroled, yes, it was a different world. It was a different world. So yes, I had to walk my walk out with a new level of temptation and a new level of freedom that I had. And I, it was challenging, David. It was challenging, bro. Like my family, they, I, I, and thank God for God, his word, his truth. He gave me the ability for that first year of my walk. He's revealed to me so much. One of the major things was, is he taught me how to love the unlovable because the people who get to you is your closest ones to you. My family, God taught me they can't give you what they don't have. My mom, my dad, my step, they could not give me the love that I needed in me, the love that only comes from God. And if they didn't have that love of God in their own life, they couldn't give it to me. So I could never be satisfied, encouraged, and lifted up through what they had to offer. They became opponents. They became opposition. They become, if there was enmity. Listen, it says that outside of Christ, before we come to the Lord, we were at enmity with God. That Not just an enemy, but at enmity. We are at odds ends. We are opposed to it. Even if you don't ever say it with your mouth, if you're not serving God, you're against him. And so my family was against God. But guess what? I am for him sold out with so that my mind is made up. So guess what? I'm for God and they're, they're opposed to him. So guess who they're opposed? They're opposed to me. So I felt a lot of backlash. I I mean, I, I've experienced the silliest things like, like, dude, I mean, I, these, these are sin, it's shameful, but like, dude, we, we didn't sold drugs and hit licks and, and laid with women together. And now you're, you're giving me a hard time about coming in late from church. Come on, bro. <laughs> you the same dad that, that you, you are the same person that was there when I left. Mm. 
And this is the type of demonic activity I had to deal with. Like, what? Like, are you, am I getting scored? I'm a grown man at this moment. And I don't, I don't, this ain't my house, but I'll pay the water bill. I bought some food stamps from my buddy over there and put some groceries in the car, in the in the house every month, right? Like, this is, I'm fresh out. Like, you know, I'm a, like, what's going on? This is crazy. And I had opposition, you know? Um, I experienced, let me talk about a few of the challenges. You know, when people parole, I mean, when people come back into society, you know, it's it's solidified that there's over 4,000 barriers set up against individuals that are formerly incarcerated. I, I, and, and this is clinically locked in. I mean, I'm not, I've experienced everything from um, uh, 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 discrimination from, and we're not just talking about for me being an African-American, a black man. Right. Well, let's just talk about having a, a criminal record and being denied job opportunities, denied housing opportunities, denied even education opportunities. Imagine going to apply for your master's degree on a cloud 10, so excited and grateful for all that God's doing. Your life's transformed. You get your bachelor's and then you get denied an opportunity because you have a criminal background and your application gets denied. Like the, 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 the system set up systemically to hinder you from taking full moving forward in this specific lane because you can't get a specific credential because of your background and the population you will work. Come on now. Come on. Let's I can, I'm not going to go there on that tangent, but talk about rejection reinforced. Right. Talk about the, 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 the reminder. And, and I, I just paid my debt to society. Now I'm an actual asset to the community and society, being a man of God, being a man of justice and righteousness and love and, 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 and working and striving towards serving others. And now I'm having to relive this punishment. Like I, the punishment, what the time wasn't the punishment, bro. Doing the jail time was just a part of the program. It's a part of the lifestyle. The punishment was being denied access to the things that normal should be normal for people. But you know what? This is why God is just so good because when you have a relationship with Christ, the impossible becomes possible and he makes a way when it seemed like there's no way. So for me, it wasn't fair, you guys. It wasn't fair. I'm not the, I'm the typical hood, poverty stricken, drug game lifestyle. Like that's typical. But when Christ came in the picture, it was not typical anymore. It wasn't fair anymore. I had favor. I had favor where I was hired and, and, and was, I fully disclosed my background and, and I let, the, I, man, I remember, man, when I first got, I got a job 10 days out. I got on the fourth, I got a job on the 10th at Amazon. I worked there six months, moved up in the company, got a raise, put me on permanently, got a $1.50 raise. They gave me a stock in the company. And that same week, HR walked me up. I didn't know this was against the law. I didn't know this. I was so filled with the Holy Ghost and grateful to just serve the people in that area, they had to kick me out of there. They had to kick me out of there. I was working. I'm like, I went from making $31 a month, 13 cents an hour in prison to getting kicked out. I'm like, you guys are going to give me $13.50. You guys are going to have to kick me out. Tell me to go home. All I did was go to church and go to work. And on that sixth month, when I got that raise and that promotion that same week, HR walked me downstairs and fired me and told me that my criminal breakdown, they could not tolerate. And I was like, what? Literally wrote it on a whiteboard, guns and violence. We do not tolerate this here. I was like, I told you I was on, I'm on parole. I told you I, I have a background. Like, and, 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 you know, God provided. I still worked there even a month after it through a, another various streams of situations, through a, through an onsite 
hiring company getting emails from Amazon saying, why is this person still on grounds? I didn't even have to check in. People was mad. They thought I got promoted, but it was favor. And then it was seven months and God said, number completion. I just, he didn't tell me number completion. He said, he said, my work was finished. One day I woke up and I heard him say, my work is finished. Mm. And I was like, and I just knew what he was saying. He said, I used you exactly how I wanted to in that season. And literally that's what led me going to school. Mm. I was seven months out of prison. And I'm like, what am I going to do? Got rejected again. What am I going to do? And I just heard real clearly go to school. And I never had any aspirations of it. And I went, it was the best decision I made because it gave me another level of character development. It gave me another level of, of, of value and worth. And it gave me the ability to begin a, a, another journey of being not just value and worth in Christ spiritually, but also according to the world. You know, the world looks at those things and those things matter to the world and to my family being a first generation college graduate. So, it, you know, in Christ, it wasn't fair, but I had the opportunity to overcome those obstacles because of my faith in him and my relationship in him. So where other people, you know what happens? We go back to the block. We go back to the sack. It's, it's way better to sell drugs, way more money. It's way funner, right? Seriously, nobody does it because they don't like it. Like it's fun. It's, it's great. Sin is pleasurable, right? For a moment. But there's a way that seems right to a man, but it always leads to death, separation from God. And so that's kind of how my first transition, it was very challenging that first year. But it took after that first year, it took off, brother. Man. What I love about your story and 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 is that even though you're facing all these obstacles, even though you're facing them, you're dealing with them, you're realizing how unbelievably unfair, you know, right when you're getting things together, that there's just all this extra stuff to get through and get over. But you have the Lord with you and and it keeps you at least from from plunging into that bitterness or that because i mean it's there for you it's there for you to be bitter it's there for you to reject it. it's there for you to go back to the streets and say this is why right like this this the way the world works is ridiculous to begin with so of course this is why people would go back and everything like that but that he keeps you from that bitterness that that he he continues to grow you continues to strengthen you continues wow. as you said to develop that character and then, you know, I don't know at what point you get that harder. Maybe you always had it. But then to be able to say, you know what, I want to go back. I want to go back to where I came from. I want to go back to to the people who were in those places, who felt the things I felt, who are dealing with those obstacles and all that kind of stuff. But I want to go back there now with the Lord for them as a way to serve them, as a way to do work for them as a way to kind of have this new chapter of your life that is now a prison fellow is a ministry bringing that hope to people who are still in that place. Um, do you feel like, I mean, what I love about your story is, you know, I think on the outside people think, right, I got to have a story like this to be of any use in a place like that. What, what your story is, 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 <laughs> This, you know, nice sort of like, you know, married couple who was, couldn't be further from that right. lifestyle. Right. Ends up they being the vehicle. They, they were out of my culture. <laughs> white couple. Right. Uh, older man and woman. Right. right. No socioeconomic status. No, there was no tie. There was no, no identity outside of Christ. In the world's in the world's eyes. No credibility in that right. way right. for the person that they reached. And yet you, the Lord meets you through them, through their example, yes. through their honesty. And, yes. and so now you're like, man, anybody, 
and the Lord will use anybody. And, and I want to be involved in being used in that way or in those places. What's so cool about, you know, at least as you've described it to me, you, you facilitate, you, you gather up those kinds of people, those volunteers, you, you direct, you kind of help place, you kind of, you're kind of this, this, like this person who's like facilitating people like that, who may not think it's for them. And you know, it's anybody, it's anybody that the Lord calls that can be used in those places to bring hope to people in those places. And now you're on this other side of things where you're, where you're helping people see that, where you're helping people catch that vision and where you're making it possible for them to, to get back into those places. Maybe they've never been anywhere near those places, but you see, man, with just a little bit of faith, with just a little bit of willingness, what the Lord could do to reach people in the way that you were reached. What's it like being on the other side, still being connected to the system in that way, still being connected to brothers and sisters very much in that world, coming out of that world, maybe not coming out of that world, maybe really stuck in that world. But now you're serving, now you're sending people into that place to give life skills, to give education, to give to give script, to give hope, to give Jesus, to give gospel. I mean, I know it's hard. I know it's got to be all the things because it's a job is also a job and right. it takes a ton of work and effort. It's exhausting and all the things, but like an incredible story, right? Like for you to be able to be in that place, still a, a young guy now directing operations for LA County and San Bernardino. I mean, like, still in your home, still, still in your place. A lot of people want to get out of their place. You're still in your place. You're, you're it's like, you want, you don't want to redeem that community. You want to redeem your home. You're not starting to look for some brand new over the next hill. I'm going to get out of here. I mean, all of that speaks to me in such volumes. I think would speak to anybody who realizes, man, to stay, to stay in that way, to serve the place where you come from, um, how, how do you feel the Lord has kept you in that place with hope, knowing all that, you know, knowing too much as it were, um, but, but still having the energy spirit led, you know, renewable energy to now serve those places that people to try to redeem some of the, these communities that you yourself have been a part of. Yeah, man. I mean, I mean, like even getting into this position now, um, you know, he says I went to school and, and moved forward, of course, during that transition, like I was kind of mentioned a little earlier, like, you know, when you're serving God and you building a relationship with him, like things become better and better month after month, year after year. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, of course, you know, through those times, what ends up happening, I'm, I'm, I'm plugged into a church. I got it. That's what I did right away when I got out of prison. That helped. It wasn't just me having this personal relationship where it's all, you know, by myself in the, in, in the closet. No, I was serving in my church, serving in my community, had leadership over me. I was being discipled and, 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 and I was working and going to school. So I continued programming like I was when I was in prison. I didn't stop the programming. Every day I had something going on. And I met my wife in my church. Um, um, I, I, you know, I got married. Um, we have children now. So here I am. I have four children now. Um, I went, you know, BC, we both had a child. We get married. We now go from single parents to now a family of four. We just had two children. So we have basically, I mean, my two oldest ones, they're going to be 13 and 12 um, in the next couple months. And then my, my two youngest ones are going to be two and three in the next couple months. And so, you know, we got the kids. I might graduate college. Um, this was 2018. 
Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I was God, I believe the Lord sent me to, uh, he said, you're going to go to school. And I believe that my, 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 it was, and it was mixed with a little bit of uh, personal ambition because somebody told me I couldn't become a social worker because of my background. Mm-hmm. And I didn't believe that. And so I knew that I was going to school in that realm of social work. And that's what I went to school for. I really believe God sent me in that path. So I did like drug and alcohol studies, psychology degree associates, um, and then transferred over social services and sociology. And so as soon as I got out of college, boom, you know, like miracle search situation had happened. I ended up getting offered a position. They only opened it up for 10 days out the year. Um, I, out of thousands of candidates that don't even make it past application process, I get offered opportunity to take this test. I felt like I scored low, but apparently nobody else scored high. So I scored <laughs> high. And, and now here I am, I got two job opportunities that happen. And I'm, you know, as you're doing due diligence, looking for jobs, you fill out these apps. And and I filled out a job application for prison fellowship, never thought anything about it, never thought twice about what the position actually entailed. It wasn't really like you're going to be like doing prison ministry and it's like it wasn't that, you know, uh, because it was a a director position. So it was more like I'm working with multiple institutions and it wasn't too in depth. So I fill it out, just due diligence. Long story short on that, I ended up getting two job offers, one in August and one in September. And guess what I did? I took both of them. <laughs> well, hey, the one started in August and it was great. But the one that in September, I prayed, fasted, went to school for four years and I believed in it. So I was social worker. And then guess what? To put a cherry on top, they didn't just offer me a social worker position. They offered me a social worker two position, starting me off over 60,000. Just, I mean, come on, this is little ghetto San Bernardino West Side boy, you know, coming from nothing, you know, hold, hold up, let's go. This is great. Like, and with the background, like, tell me things, all things are possible through those who believe, right? And I'm so I accepted that and in this other position, and I started working with Prison Fellowship. Um, I got hired on um, as a field director here over Southern California, as you mentioned earlier, overseeing rehabilitative programs. Um, I have, you know, over seven institutions here, state and um, federal facilities, where I'm responsible for implementing, you know, life skill transformational um, curriculum. Um, it's founded on biblical principles and and, and and holistic in its manner and and hoping it, helping individuals develop that, you know, transition from a criminogenic mindset to more pro-social lifestyle. And so now I, I guess the sum of my position is I get to serve the volunteers and equip them and, 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 and be there for them so that they can serve those who are incarcerated. And it's full circle that God would bring me back. And I didn't know it at first, but after that th- first two, three weeks, well, it was really three weeks of torment because I was praying like, God revealed to me, what am I supposed to do? This other job's going to come up. I was tormented. And he told me, he's like, do you want to work for me or you want to work for the world? And, and I was like, there's nothing wrong with working in any other aspect and being a light in any, but this is how he met me. And I was like, why didn't you tell me this a long time ago? And I was just leaning on my own understanding. I was just, he said, cause guess what? I'm still a social worker. I just, I'm a social worker in the prison system. Mm. I still do social work. And so I, you know, now I find myself in this, this invigorating um, position and, and not just like as a man of God, be like as God's child, right? That's just awesome in itself. But what does that entail? Like a father, I'm, I get to be a father and a husband and a leader in my community and my family. And these are all challenging situations that I never had an example, nor mentorship to help me walk through. So I'm learning it out. I'm trailblazing, generational curse breaking, right? And I'm in this wonderful position 
after going through all of what's wrong in doing all of what's wrong and seeing, I know that that's very valuable to know all of what's wrong because I know what not to do. And so now I go in here and what really got my attention was how the population was just impacted when I would go speak. I mean, of course, God gave me a mouthpiece. He gifted me with that. But it was like they were just it was seemed like it was extra like and God began to reveal to me. He's like, just because you have a background, they identify with you. Like they, they already have a trust. They just, there was just, just because you speak that language, you meet them right where they're at. And I don't like, depending on, you know, I might drop my, my identification down and start talking, you know what I mean? And you feel me and I, you know, I meet them where they're at with that, depending on my circles, you know, and you meet the people where they're at with that love of God. And I, and I really have a, a position to let people know that it's possible. You people out there with family who are who are incarcerated, guess what? It's possible for them to change because I wasn't supposed to come home. I was supposed to be in there for the rest of my life. I wasn't supposed to make it, but I begin to give God permission to do the impossible. And it's possible for change. It's possible. Look, I have now they, the, um, the, um, the state, you know, uh, Governor Newsom, and at the time it was uh, the secretary, uh, 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 Ralph Diaz. I, I have a statewide clearance. I can go to any prison in, this, in, in, in California. I'm cleared. Like, I don't have to go through background process. Like, I have, and that's good for five years at a time. And I still have the felonies and strikes. I'm, I'm right now just working on the, the, the clearance process. I've been out of prison eight years. Right. I'm working on the uh, like the expungement process. But like God opened up all of those doors and allowed me to be this beacon of light in this place and bring hope to the hopeless. Like it's possible. I'm in here with felonies and strikes on my background. And when I first started, mind you, this was three years ago. So I was only out five years. So when I was telling these people, you know, these incarcerated population, like, yes, it's possible. You could be you could you could be a father. You could be a husband. You could be a man of God. You could be a woman of God incarcerated and you could do different when you get out. You could serve God. You could grow and become something you never thought you could become. And it starts one day at a time and even one step at a time. And so now I'm just so, so grateful. Like I'm even in my hardest days, like it's not even it's nothing because I've been through it. I've been through it in that cell. I've been alone. I've been confined. Bad food, bad leadership. I've, I've, I've been a bad steward of my life. I've experienced the dark, dark moments. And, and there's nothing. There's nothing that can compare to those dark moments. Everything's better than that. And so I'm just so honored, man. Like God gave me another chance. And it wasn't because of how good I was. Like, remember, he met me right in my mess. Like, I didn't stop doing anything. I was still doing dirt, but I did start doing four things. I started reading my word, the Bible. I started praying. I started fasting, didn't even know what it was. I just stopped eating and I would read my Bible. And then I found out that's how you're supposed to fast. And then I fellowshiped. I started going to church. I Listen, men and women out here, men and women predestined to be men and women of God, he he wasn't trying to change me. He was just trying to bring me back to the original creation. He created me in his image and his likeness. Mm. He was trying to bring me back. He created me to have a, a mouthpiece, not for evil, but for good. He created me to be a hustler. He created me to be able to minister that gospel in a, in a smooth, relatable way. He created me to be, you know, all the things that I did for evil were just perverted by the enemy. Mm. God created me with the boldness and the tenacity. He created me a zeal, mm. not for the world. And so I just get to like, as I just, just kind of close on that question, like I really, I just get to be me. 
Like I get to be me in Christ and it's the best thing ever. And I'm jacked up in many ways, but I'm nowhere near where I once used to be. Amen. And I'll never go back to that because it's not an option. Amen. Amen. Maurice, thank you so much. I don't know who's, I mean, I know, I know some of our audience, you know what I mean? But I also know what the Lord can do. And I know, you know, there might be someone who listens to this that never listened to the podcast before, maybe wouldn't listen again. They hear this thing and the Lord reaches them with a message about hope. They hear about, they hear about breaking curses of families and generations of things. They hear about, they hear about someone who has given something that now he's able to give others because he's seen what it, what it means uh, to be Christ's own. Um, I, I know what, what's great about the Lord is anyone who hears through anyone can get all of it, you know, that, that they don't need to have the same background. They don't, but they, but they could, right? Like, that's what I mean. Like the Lord's reach is, is, is just so perfect. And so knowing that even just your testimony and the time you're taking to be able to share with us and, and just to be honest and just to be real about it, um, knowing that that can hit someone who, who might be, might be a 13 year old kid who's just having trouble with, you know, starting school and might be in just a whatever place and, and something in your testimony wakes something up in them about Christ. It could be, could be anyone anywhere. And that's what I, I so just, I just so appreciate your willingness because I know what the Lord can do because like you, I know he can reach us at any point, no matter where we are, no matter what we are. Um, brother, it's an honor to, to be able to just kind of steal some of this time from you and to hear, hear your story. If you would, would you close us in a prayer, a prayer for, you know, people who might hear this or people who just need hope, who don't have it, um, anything that the Lord might do, but I, I it'd, be, it'd be weird to me to close this out and just be like, all right, well, have a good one. You know, <laughs> I feel like, you know, the Lord is in this place. He always was, and we have eyes to see it. Um, so if you would just close us out with, uh, with a prayer. Amen. I will do. Thank you. And uh, before I do close out, man, just thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. Um, you know, this time, this time is being redeemed. Like this is not even my time. So like, I'm just grateful to be able to like, say here, like God, like I'm stewarding the time that he gave me, like here, let me use my time. Like we use our time for so many things, right? Like so many things are dividing us and content and, 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 everything else like i'm just i'm grateful for this time thank you for for being in position to call out these opportunities and 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 the people that you are putting on the podcast and and bringing some type of hope and and, and encouragement like thank you because we need this we need these platforms and these opportunities to share and all we're doing is just it's just god like, just to make it simple, like, this is just God talking. Like, it's not me. Like, I'm not this sharp. I'm not this intelligent. I'm not, like, like this great. But because God is, like, I'm super awesome. Like, I'm dope. Like, I am, like, the, I, and look, my confidence level is up here because of Christ. But I still know that outside of him, in the moment that I step outside, like, I go right back. I know that I'm only one step away from a prison cell. I know I'm one step away from a sherm stick, a PCP um, drug that I used to be consumed in and drowned in. I know it. I know it. But but I just want to um, just thank you, man. Thank you for that. And and, um, and I thank you for the opportunity to pray because I love talking to the father. So uh, let's do it. Let's do it. Hallelujah. 
Father, we come before you right now with thanksgiving and Lord, we're just so grateful that we can testify to your goodness, all of who you are, who you have been, and even who you will continue to be. Father, I thank you that you didn't wait for me to get it all together, just like you're not waiting for anybody else out there to get it together. Father, you already did the impossible on that cross. And even before that time, you said you were going to do it. You were so serious and so sure about your love for us that you wrote it down and you spoke to men. You spoke to your children. You spoke to your men and women and they wrote it down and made it plain about your thoughts. Father, your plans are for good and not for evil. There is a future and a hope for us. And I'm so grateful, Father, that you didn't wait until we just got it together. But yet you, you accepted me right where I was at, right where I was at, right in my mess, right in my dysfunction, right in my identity crisis. And that's just what you're looking to do for everyone else that's out there. You already did the work. You already did the impossible. And so, Father, we just thank you for that. We thank you for choosing us before we chose you. We thank you for loving us before you loved us. Father, we thank you so much for your mercy and your grace. Thank you for not turning your back on us. Even when we're faithless, Father, you're faithful. You're loyal to us. You're loyal to your name. You're loyal to your ways. Thank you for giving us your everything. Thank you for not being a man that you could lie. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for being in me, being here on earth to do the works of God. We just thank you for your goodness and we accept your goodness. Father, in the name of Jesus, for anyone who's out there, Father, who has a loved one who is in broken in, in, and who's hurting and maybe in the system or maybe who has came out of the system and is still going through those, those that cycle, Father. Maybe somebody's been impacted by crime and incarceration out there. Lord, I just lift them up to your throne of grace right now. And I speak to those bondages. I speak to those hurts. I speak to those identity crises. I speak to those generational curses set up against them. And I declare those things destroyed right now. I disarm the works of darkness in their lives. I disarm doubt. I disarm pride and arrogance. I disarm the lies of the enemy right now. And I declare them powerless in Jesus' name. I speak of boldness and a confidence over you, child of God. I speak of freedom. Right now, be released. Freedom of God. I pray that you meet them right now in their heart and their mind. I speak of joy over them right now, Father. I speak of supernatural revelation and knowledge of who you are in their lives and who they are in you, Father. Right now, be activated in the name of Jesus. I thank you for softened hearts, Father. I thank you for new beginnings. I declare it right now. And if you're with me, you can declare it with me. Say, I declare new beginnings. I declare new beginnings. I am strong. I am worthy. I do matter. It is possible. I am loved. I am important in the name of Jesus. I thank you, Father God. And as they agree with that truth, your truth, not our truth and how good we are, I thank you, Father God, that you are now doing the impossible we agree to your will, and I agree to your faithfulness over this man of God. My brother David Woods, I bless him, and I declare strength and encouragement over you, man of God. I declare favor. I come against the lies of failure. I come against the lies of stress. I come against the lies of burdens and ungodly weights that would try to hold you down, and I declare those destroyed. I thank you, Father God, for supernatural vision over his life. 
for insight and clarity. I thank you, Father God, for wisdom and knowledge, knowing when and how to apply the vision, Father. Supernatural strategy be released. Be released in Jesus' name. Father, we love you, and we thank you for this authority that we have in you. In Jesus' name, new beginnings you receive. Amen and amen. Amen and amen, brother. Amen. I got to get you to come preach in my church. <laughs> Hallelujah. Oh, man. Well, look, 45 years, prison fellowship, 1976, 45 years doing God's work in tough places, um, doing the work of Jesus, Matthew 25, uh, visiting those in prison, being remembering those in prison, not forgetting our brothers and sisters in prison. Anybody who wants to reach out to you uh, can get you at, uh, what's your email address? Just yeah, yeah, you guys can reach out. Um, my first name, Maurice uh, underscore Woods at pfm.org. That's Maurice, M-A-U-R-I-C-E underscore Woods, W-O-O-D-S at pfm, P as in prison, F as in fellowship, M as in ministry.org, O-R-G. Um, reach out. We'd love to connect with you. Or if you didn't get all that, just go to prisonfellowship.org. And, and I'm this I'm this field director here in Southern California. So thank you guys. Thank you so much for being here. And I would thank love you. to have you guys check out what we're doing in the institutions. I'm excited. I'm excited, man. And I'm excited to have you back on um, to just kind of talk us through what's what those next things might look like. Thank you so, so much for taking the time. Thank your uh, your wife and your kids, because I know <laughs> I know yeah. that's a big sacrifice. Um, and, and God willing, man. <laughs> Keep on keeping on. God willing, you and I will be talking pretty soon here. Yeah, either way, man, you my brother. Anyway, um, I can serve you or be of, of assistance. Just, man, reach out. I'm only a call. You might be going on a 21-day fast, and I might need to let some things go myself. I'm with it. I'll jump in with you. You know what I'm saying? Like, just let me know, bro. God bless you, bro. Thank you, Maurice, man. Have a good day, man. Get some rest when you get there, too, okay? Yes, sir. All right, now. Take care. That's our time, my friends. If you would like to support the podcast, please do subscribe and rate us on iTunes. And if you would like even more content and to become a patron of the podcast, head on over to FromBabylonWithLove.com, click on Newsletter, and sign up there. Until then, many thanks to producer Zach Leach for all the twists and turns and to Lonesome and Muddy, the only house band that'll survive the apocalypse. This has been From Babylon with Love.